Hello everyone, this is R.W. Lee, and you are listening to Evenings in Church History, the goal of which is to connect Christians to their past to influence their future. Let's get started. This episode is going to be a little different from what I've done in the past. What I've been doing up to this point is focusing on one specific figure and doing a kind of biographical sketch of their life and theology over a given course of time. With this episode, I'm not going to be doing that, and therefore it's going to be a little shorter than what you would normally hear from this channel. This also gives me the chance to be more concentrated, and so what's going to happen is I'm going to look at a specific topic or give you a subject of importance, and I'm going to gather specific quotes from different important figures throughout church history and allow them to comment in their own words on the given subject. This will make sense as you hear it. So, for example, today's episode is going to focus on the topic of prayer. What did prayer look like throughout church history? Well, really, Protestant church history. Our first thought on prayer comes from Martin Luther's Table Talk collection. He says of prayer, quote, We cannot pray without faith in Christ, the Mediator. Turks, Jews, and Papists may repeat the words of prayer, but they cannot pray. And although the apostles were taught this Lord's Prayer by Christ and prayed often, yet they prayed not as they should have prayed. For Christ says, Hitherto ye have not prayed in my name. Whereas, doubtless, they had prayed much, speaking the words. But when the Holy Ghost came, then they prayed aright in the name of Christ. If praying and reading of prayer be but only a bare work, as the Papists hold, then the righteousness of the law is nothing worth. The upright prayer of a godly Christian is a strong hedge. As God himself says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. End quote. In Luther's mind, prayer is powerless and meaningless unless it is coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It then takes on a new character for the Christian as a source of power and protection. It's not the words that make the difference, but the power of the Holy Spirit. Luther says later, quote, Upright Christians pray without ceasing. Though they pray not always with their mouths, yet their hearts pray continually, sleeping and waking. For the sigh of a true Christian is a prayer. And the psalm saith, because of the deep sighing of the poor, I will up, saith the Lord, etc. In like manner, a true Christian always carries the cross, though he feel it not always. End quote. Our next quote comes from John Calvin on prayer, as taken from his Institutes. He describes the definition of prayer, why we need to use it, and how we use it. But I want to focus in particular on what prayer is and why we ought to pray in the mind of Calvin. Defining prayer, he says, quote, To prayer, then, are we indebted for penetrating to those riches that are treasured up for us with our Heavenly Father. 
For there is a kind of communion between God and men by which, having entered the upper sanctuary, they appear before him and appeal to his promises, that when necessity requires, they may learn by experiences that what they believed, merely on the authority of his word, was not in vain. Accordingly, we see that nothing is set before us as an object of expectation from the Lord that we are not enjoined to ask of him in prayer. So true it is that prayer digs up those treasures that the gospel of our Lord reveals to the eye of faith. End quote. To Calvin, then, prayer is the means by which the child of God receives the promises of God. It is the means by which his children can come to him in faith for assurance, for full assurance, that what they have believed in is true. Essentially, there's a reason why there has been nothing promised to us. Calvin points out that God has not commanded us to ask of him. No promise of God exists that the child of God cannot ask for with eager expectation. The next paragraph really captures Calvin's idea of the necessity and really the reason why we ought to pray as Christians. He says, quote, The necessity and utility of this exercise of prayer no words can sufficiently express. Assuredly, it is not without cause our Heavenly Father declares that our only safety is in calling upon His name, Joel 2.32. By it, we invoke the presence of His providence to watch over our interests, of His power to sustain us when weak and almost fainting, of His goodness to receive us into favor, though miserably loaded with sin. In short, we call upon Him to manifest Himself to us in all His perfections. Hence, admirable peace and tranquility are given to our consciences. For the necessities by which we were pressed being laid before the Lord, we rest fully satisfied with the assurance that none of our evils are unknown to Him, and that He is both able and willing to make the best provision for us. End quote. It's important to understand what Calvin is saying here. It is through prayer that our hearts are lifted up, that the guilt of sin is cast off of us. When we are worried or fearful, we can rest in the sovereignty of God, knowing that He has everything under His control. Calvin is maintaining the need to rest in the providence of God, while at the same time holding on to the transformative power of prayer for the personal Christian walk. He even acknowledges that there are those who would say that God doesn't need our prayers if he really understands everything that we need before we ask Him, and the best way to even meet those needs why ought we to pray? Uh, as if God was sleeping or ignoring us or just waiting to hear the sound of our voice. Calvin responds to this, saying, quote, Those who argue thus attend not to the end for which the Lord taught us to pray. It was not so much for His sake as for ours. He wills indeed, as is just, that due honor be paid Him by acknowledging that all men desire or feel to be useful. And pray to obtain is derived from him. But even the benefit of the homage that we thus pay him redounds to ourselves. Hence, the holy patriarchs, the more confidently they proclaimed the mercies of God to themselves and others, felt the stronger incitement to prayer. End quote. He then references the story of Elijah. Following the great miracle on Mount Carmel, Elijah knew that rain was going to come on the land, and yet he still waited anxiously in prayer. 
it wasn't because he doubted God or didn't think that what God had promised would come to pass. It was because he knew he had to lay all of his desires, all of his doubts, all of his fears before God. Otherwise, his faith would become shaky. One of the most significant things to draw from this, I think, is that prayer is not meant to change God's mind. Instead, it's meant to change ours or our hearts or to conform us to the image of Christ in a deeper way. It's the way in which we communicate to God our deepest fears, our deepest wants and desires in a way that we can try to match our will with the will of God. Even though we are holy and righteous before God, we still have a sin nature that needs to be overcome, and this will happen with great struggle. It's like a battle, and prayer is our weapon of warfare. Not to necessarily beat down the devil or perform just spiritual warfare, but to perform warfare on our own fleshly nature, on that flesh side of us that wants and desires the things that are contrary to the will of God, whatever those may be. John Bunyan captures this point gracefully when he mourns the state of prayerfulness among Christians of his day, saying, quote, Alas, the greatest part of men make no conscience at all of the duty. As for them that do, it is to be feared that many of them are very great strangers to a sincere, sensible, and affectionate pouring out their hearts or souls to God. They content themselves with a little lip labor and bodily exercise, mumbling over a few imaginary prayers. When the affections are indeed engaged in prayer, then the whole man is engaged, and in such sort that the soul will spend itself, as it were, rather than go without that good desired, even communion and solace with Christ. Hence, it is that the saints have spent their strength and lost their lives rather than go without the blessing. End quote. I would like to conclude with a quote from Psalm 69, which Bunyan cites in his address on prayer. Psalm 69, verse 13 in the New American Standard Bible says, But as for me... My prayer is for you, O Lord, at an acceptable time. O God, in the greatness of your loving kindness, answer me with your saving truth. Thank you once again for listening and recommending this podcast. Also for giving it a rating on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at echpodcast at gmail.com. That's E-C-H podcast at gmail.com and I'll be sure to get back to you as soon as I can. This concludes tonight's episode and with that thank you for joining me this evening in church history. Mm-hmm.